1: Good afternoon, welcome to Health and Living with me, T. Ik. It's our public health segment today with my co-host Azrul Muhammad Khalid, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy, joining me in the studio. And today we are discussing the care economy. So Malaysia has said a lot about being prepared for an ageing society, but are we actually headed for an ageing crisis instead with older adults continuing to be dependent on informal care for their daily social, health and financial needs, um, while the carers themselves, the caregivers and the care providers, usually family members, right, remain invisible, underpaid or even unpaid. Most of the time. So, with the first ever International Day of Care and Support recently commemorated on the 29th of October, we thought we'd shine a spotlight on the importance of developing a care economy to be, be, to be prepared for this aging society. And um, on, joining us on Zoom, Chai Senting, Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on My On Aging or My Aging at University Putra, Malaysia. We are actually also expecting YB Anfal Sari, Adun of Taman Templar and Selangor State Exco for Women and Family Empowerment, Social Welfare and Care Economy to join us. Um, and it, when she does join the conversation, we'll, we'll bring her in. She is supposed to join us on Zoom. But meanwhile, if you have any thoughts or questions on this topic of ageing, caring for your age dependents and what you think about developing a care economy, you can call us at 032 double seven double three two nine hundred WhatsApp our U Mobile number at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine or tweet us at BFM radio. Chai, thank you so much for joining us on Zoom. How are you?
2: Yeah, it's it's my pleasure actually. Hi Doctor Azure. Hi Shari.
1: Just Azra, right? Yes,
0: yeah, Azro is fine. <laughs>
1: um, we'll, we'll promote you someday. <laughs> uh, Chai, I just wanted to start off with uh, getting your thoughts on this. Um, I wanted to quote the former First Lady of the United States, Rosalind Carter. She once said, um, there are only four kinds of people in the world. Those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers and those who will need caregivers. And you can see where this is going. Chai, how do you view this statement in the context of what our society is facing today?
2: I, I think the, the one more category we can add is we'll be a caregiver again. You know that, that would be like, you know, it's a role that some of them will have to perform, uh, probably not once or twice in their lifetime. But uh, that's definitely true, and uh, one of the biggest challenges for us is actually how do we transition from something that is performed within households and uh, usually done without pay, therefore it's not register under GDP, as we transition into a a commodified uh, structure, you know, a monetization of care work. And this is what's being highlighted by ILO as well. Um, This is also decent work uh, issues. So I I believe this is going to be a a major reality for our country, especially since we are trying to, at the same time, promote female labor force participation rate. So this seems like an uh, inevitable trend. You know, you can't avoid it. And I think this will be a, a, a bigger and bigger issue as time goes on because uh, fewer people are getting married, they might not have children, so we can no longer rely on traditional models of uh, family caregiving or caregiving by children or adult children, who is actually, again, performed by women.
0: Uh, Chai, what do you think? Uh, uh, just the other day, I was uh, uh, catching this Channel News Asia report and it indicated that um, EPF, the Employees Forbidden Fund had, in the context of retirement uh, savings and so forth, had decided and declared that we are actually already in a retirement crisis. And that translates also to ageing crisis as well, because it seems like we're not prepared for our golden years. In fact, we talk about ageing as if it's like 20 years, 30 years down the road, but actually we are ageing today and there are people who are ageing. In fact, our policymakers are aged, you know. They're in that category of of, <laughs> of golden years and retirement. Yet there seems to be very little done. Do you agree that we are already in a crisis?
2: Uh, I think one of the best things to point out is that the older persons of tomorrow are already with us. Exactly. They are already yeah. here. You know, it's not a question of uh, uh, of who they are. We can actually ask our. Um, Adults today, the adult population today, what do they want? Because 10, 20 years down the road, they will be the senior citizens, they will be the older persons. So definitely, I think in terms of crisis, in terms of financial readiness for retirement, retirement confidence and preparedness, we, we are not even emphasizing uh, enough on Investments in health, investments in social relationships. We, we are just looking at the uh, financial retirement portion and we try to scare ourselves silly over what amount do we need for retirement. But I think at the end of the day, uh, think before there was EPF. You know, I mean, it has never been enough. It's not that it was enough before. I, I think that point has to be emphasized that uh, uh, the retirement crisis uh, has always been there. It is, it's never gone away. It's just that the family have absorbed the bulk of the care, the family has absorbed the bulk of the needs for all these services. But when we are transitioning into an aging society and when we want people to work so that these numbers appear in GDP, that's where we start to talk about whose responsibility is it? Is it the family? Is it the state? And if it is the state, we are, we are woefully underprepared.
0: Well, that comes to a very interesting point there. I mean, we're Asians and we like to pride ourselves of being able to take care of our our older, our elders, and there's a culture there, you know. It's about being filial. Filial, yeah, and uh, exactly. which kind of affiliate to me really filial there, but you know, uh, <laughs> in, in this particular case, you know, uh, very often we see that in these systems, it doesn't really take into account that you actually need formal systems or or, or in- structures that are able to take care of the aged because it depends on the family members, the sons and daughters, uh, the grandchildren and so forth, to take care of the grandparents and so forth. So as a result, the state uh, doesn't really do much for anything. But you just said that the state should. So, I mean, who's, who's, whose job is it? Uh, is it really a, a future where we shift off our older people to, you know, retirement homes? Or
1: There is a taboo. There is a taboo right, uh, yeah. with that, yeah. aren't you?
2: There is still one. Uh, But this is the interesting part. Uh, We always try to point out to people that in Malaysia, our retirement homes and and in many parts, it's a little bit different in the sense that the children actually pool the funds to actually pay for these services as we speak. The, The bulk of the industry is not coming out of pocket from the elderly themselves. So, uh, this will change, of course. This might change. But the the real question here is that as a society, are we supporting families to take care of the elderly? We we should think in the sense that, you know, what is it that the elderly want? And and what is it that we are pushing in terms of policies? I'm not saying that uh, female labour force participation rate should be where they are. I think, of course, considering the investment in education that we have, we should see more women in the labour market. But are there policies that are uh, holding them back? You know, we used to say, "Oh, let's build more childcare centres, you know, uh, crutches at at office, then we will get the numbers." But I think this is not as simple as just providing more daycare services for the elderly, more old folks homes, and we'll see the numbers. I think at the end of the day. Uh, families, children, and their parents—they all have to make a decision. Call you know they make these choices based on family resources that they have, and that is why I say that um, we have to think—think uh, think our way through this. Because while commodification of care is inevitable, it will happen. Um, how much should the state be involved in this to regulate it, to make sure it's really affordable to the group who needs it? Because at its present model or its current model, is actually only affordable to those who can afford to pay mm. for them out of pocket. The government does not have long-term care financing. The, the government does not provide. There is some tax relief, uh, but you know, if I'm not being taxed, then I'm not getting anything in, mm. in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So whereas these are the group of uh, B40 families, B40 households that that should be supported, applauded even for taking care of their ageing parents, for, for trying to, you know, uh, make a decision call about what is the best that they can do for their family members, young or old.
1: Mm. Yeah, and it's not just the B40 that's feeling the, um, you know, the burden. The M40 right. families are as well and... I just want to get uh, a a bit of that, a bigger picture of what's the problem with the cultural um, filial approach? Um, What's wrong with family members taking up this duty? Uh, And usually girls and women of the families being the ones uh, to uh, bear this burden, right? What's wrong with that picture?
2: Well, the first and foremost is, of course, gender inequality that we want. But there is also intergenerational justice happening. Mm. I think in our culture, family caregivers are not being valued enough. They are, they, are, they have their own troubles and stress and, and there's really very little respite and support for family caregivers. In fact, we are talking about all this training for uh, care workers. But uh, we should probably start with uh, family caregivers, giving them help and training and assistance where we could. But uh, the real problem here seems to stem from this expectation that your children will take care of you. But what if you don't have children? But what if you don't, you know, you're not married or your children live overseas? Then all this becomes a little bit tricky, and our culture. Uh, You say it's culture. I I believe it's also partially because of our... history and the development of uh, aged care facilities. Mind you, the the real reason why we have all these charitable homes or old folks homes for the elderly in the past is because there was a migrant community significantly and large enough that they did not get married. They do not have money to go back to their hometown. They were males. And that is where the the, the first few uh, uh, old folks homes really started for the migrant community males who have no children to take care of them or do not have sufficient savings from that point onwards uh, when we have liberalization of the healthcare sector in 1990s when doctors started opening up these uh, care homes and uh, nursing homes uh, there is this still this general taboo lingering around that if you put someone an older person in a home uh, uh, in a facility like that is a form of abandonment mm. without considering the fact that the family member might have difficulty caring for dementia patients mm. for people who require advanced care you know even as some something as wound dressing or uh, diabetes, for example, there there are many more health care management that could be done. But at the same time, we should be asking the question, if you can teach a family member to do it, and you don't really regulate that, why do you regulate that for uh, aged care facilities? And why is there such a huge discrepancy in treatment between charitable homes and uh, homes that charges a fee? And I have to point this out because our attitude towards them are very, very different. You know, public donations, oh, they just said, oh, this home charges a fee. It doesn't matter how much it is, all the donations will dry up. People won't support, people won't come Mm -hmm. and and help mm. and how are you going to make it affordable for the people then you know who are they really punishing actually
1: yeah exactly services come at a cost professional services come at a cost we'll go for a quick break and then come back to continue this conversation uh, with Chai Senting, Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on Aging at University of Putra Malaysia my co-host in the studio Azro Muhammad Khalib CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy we're discussing the care e- economy on health and living BFM 89.9 Good afternoon, welcome back to Health and Living with me T Shao Ik, and for my public health segment today joining me in the studio, my co-host Azro Muhammad Khalid, CEO of the Galen Centre for Health and Social Policy. We're discussing the care economy today and earlier I mentioned that we were waiting for uh, YB Puan Anfal Sa'ari to join us and she has uh, managed to jump on Zoom to join us. Uh, she's the Adun for Taman Templar and Selangor State Exco of the Women and Family Empowerment Social Welfare and Care Economy portfolios and uh, also you have been hearing from from Chai Sinting, Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on Ageing or My Ageing at University Putra, Malaysia. YB Anfa, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome. And, uh, you know, we have sort of kickstarted the conversation uh, looking at the state of our society today where we're not just looking at aging society uh, in some uh, near future. We have um, family members, community members around us today who are already aging, who are already um, facing and families are facing the issues of requiring care for increasingly older adults who live with many comorbidities and health conditions both physical as well as uh, mental and neurodegenerative that will cause them to require more care. And uh, who has been providing this care? has largely been family members. And we were looking at the issues around that. Um, YB Anfal, um, perhaps we could actually just dive into um, this idea of developing a care economy. Um, you know, from your perspective, what do we mean by the care economy, what kinds of services and activities um, do you envision coming under this?
3: Okay, thank you. Um, For your information, we just had um, this uh, symposium of care economy of Selangor. And in our timeline, uh, we are planning to build care economy blueprint, Kerangka Tindakan Ekonomi Penjagaan Selangor. And the beneficiaries uh, where we uh, identify as uh, First is the uh, housewives uh, the home the homekeepers and also have uh, family members either the father or the mother who take care of the disabled children disabled family members and also the elderly and also the fourth one is aanta uh, or the the sick Uh, So we have gathered um, almost 100 stakeholders uh, from state agencies, uh, from local councils and also academicians and also civil societies. We discuss uh, about the early childhood, uh, about the senior living, and also about disabled. So, I believe in care economy is relatively new in Malaysia, and our Prime Minister has mentioned uh, care economy as economic sign, where we uh, should focus uh, on preparing ourselves uh, to provide uh, infrastructure uh, support and uh, social protection. For the elderly, and not only for the elderly, but also for the uh, children and uh, the disabled. Uh, So uh, I believe care economy is about um, recognizing uh, the caregivers and protecting uh, the recipients, uh, especially the disabled. Uh, For example, if we quantify um, uh, the wage, the basic wage of housewife, if we can pay them about. 2300 ringgit. In Malaysia alone, uh, we may have an economy size of 6 billion ringgit. Uh, That's how we can measure. Uh, However, for the housewives, I think uh, we need to provide uh, in terms of social protection. Uh, for example, under Sokso or Berkeso, uh, they have launched uh, this uh, keselamatan scheme Pelindungan Keselamatan Social Suri Rumah, where with 120 ringgit they can get this social protection for medical benefits. So, I think when we uh, recognize uh, the caregivers, especially the uh, housewives, we are actually uh, promoting um, the economy uh, in terms of uh, social inclusivity, uh, meaning that they are not being abandoned and we are uh, putting uh, this um, infrastructure or to facilitate them how can they earn money and at the same time uh, upskill their capacity in uh, caregiving uh, the the beneficiaries. So I believe in care economy there are so many um, uh, sectors that we can discuss and we sit down together but uh, for Slango, we will we'll begin with uh, building this uh, blueprint for Slango care economy.
0: Mm. Well, you know, it, it does sound very positive, Puan uh, Anfal, especially when it comes to um, wanting to describe what is very much an informal uh, part of the economy. And I, I like it that you've described it in terms of monetary terms. Uh, Six billion, you said. Is that mm. just for Slango, or is that for the entire country?
3: So that's for entire country, yeah,
0: so that's yeah. a sizable chunk. And when you consider it against the GDP, that's something that we would want to be able to ensure that we are able to take care of the people who are part of that yeah. uh, that yeah. e- economy. So in this case, it's important to describe it in terms of an economic model, but i'm yeah. I'm interested to know a little bit more about the social protection network uh, that you described briefly just now. I mean, uh, historically, we do not have any recognition even of the rights yeah. of people who are working in informal sectors, even mm-hmm. domestic workers. Even to, to, until today, you look at foreign domestic workers have to fight for a day off. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so in this case, you talk about people who are housewives, who are uh, people who are not really described under the economy as workers. What? How are we mm-hmm. going to? Uh, recognize this group of people really, so that we can provide protection. I mean, how do we go about it? Is the definition of a worker going to be expanded? Uh, uh, what kind of protections are you are you thinking about, uh, like EPF maybe? Uh,
3: yeah. Um. For your information, I think from 2018, part of Pakatan Harapan manifesto, we uh, offered AISuri suri, and it has been executed. Uh, I mean, um, under Datuk Sri Wan Aziza as the uh, Ministry of uh, and Wanita, I think that fifty ringgit uh, for initial uh, fund for any um, housewife. Uh, is for the beginning, I mean, it's a good start. Uh, and I believe um, it's related to the empowerment of men in the family where we also promote that the husband uh, actually contributes some of the amount of money uh, and we cannot enforce because uh, it has to be tabled uh, in the right yet. Uh, for example, if you want to uh, enforce uh, like uh, some potongan uh, gaji from the husband, must be put into uh, the wife's uh, funding, especially the housewife. And this uh, uh, requires a long discussion. But for me, I think it's for uh, social protection, uh, we need to see um, in a longer, I mean, uh, in a faraway mode of uh, how protection of um, housewife. Uh, For example, can we uh, talk with uh, PBT, eh, the local council, uh, can we um, force, I mean, uh, regulate that within any new development, within certain radius of uh, some new townhouse, uh, new town township, it has to be a nursery. It has to be uh, a centre for uh, support for mm-hmm. uh, housewives uh, and also for them to uh, talk to each other. So because it is related to mental health as well and uh, COVID-19 during the pandemic, um, 2020 and 2022, I mean, under public health care, we see uh, this um, mental health issue has been a big issue. So uh, I believe we can uh, do something in terms of social protection uh, when we talk uh, with a local council on the guidelines of how can they facilitate uh, the process of uh, the local community and to empower among the community to take care of each other. Uh, under my portfolio, we have um, this uh, social welfare where I would like to bring uh, bring back this concept of uh, jirad by uh, where we take care of our neighborhood, uh, our neighbors. and because of that, I think um, we could see uh, this empowerment of family not in terms of family in a, a relate, in relation, but also family in a bigger context. So um, I think it has to take uh, two approaches. One is in terms of um, the legislation of how can we enforce uh, the husbands or the men in the family to protect the, the ladies in the, in the family. And it requires uh, in the Dewan Rakyat. And second one, uh, I believe in Selangor, uh, under pihak berkuasa agree, we have the authority to discuss with pihak berkuasa tempatan local council on how to uh, prepare the guidelines uh, to make sure that the nurturing and the uh, supporting community
1: for the housewives. Chai, I wonder if I could get your thoughts on whether the care economy should also include even a more expanded view where um, we redistribute services. That means, um, you know, it, it, from what YB uh, Anfal has described, it's services and infrastructure that support um, primary caregivers uh, within families but are we could we look beyond that to professionalize um, the caregiving sector um, redistribute the care work um, from out of the family to public and private sector um, you know providers for instance
2: i i think that's those are very good points raised i think at the end of the day uh we all know that once we go to a Uh, private sector model or professionalisation of the care economy or whatsoever, that will require another form of uh, investment because you you need regulations. You will need uh, oversight. You cannot have something uh, without a means and ways of ascertaining its uh, minimum quality of care, how to weed out bad actors and all that. So so that will be uh, another factor. But I'm particularly intrigued uh, by our uh, approach and the way we see housewives, you know, especially as you mentioned about informal uh, sector care. Uh, I, I think gender rights, as it is in in our current environment, in an ideal situation, I would say, you know, why two percent? Might as well just go for a much simpler solution where, At a point of withdrawal, 50% of whatever amount that there is in EPF should be harta sepencarian. It should be given out to spouses. You know, we can prorate it as you like. We can talk about how long they were married. But at the end of the day, we, we should even go further and say that it should be 50%. You know, while you are working, I'm also working too, although I'm not formally employed in, uh, and I don't appear in national labor statistics. I am performing a service. So at the end of the day, uh, I think the I sayang, for example, is a, a first step in the right direction in a sense that whether the husband or the wife can contribute. Uh, in UK, what they do is that you know, it doesn't matter whether you're housewives or whatsoever, you can actually open up a savings account, a retirement savings account for yourself. And I don't care who contributes, you know, as long as there is contribution to that. And that will be your own uh, retirement savings or your retirement fund. But I would like to take it even one step further and really try to invite Malaysians to think about decoupling pensions, occupational pensions from their jobs, everybody should be entitled to some kind of uh, a basic pension upon retirement. So while we are thinking about trying to capture and and enlist the informal sector uh, workers or whatsoever, what we could do instead is actually think about a funded social pension, a a way that is sustainable that we can actually... uh, Let's be honest, no money will come out from anywhere but people who work. People who work will always have to cover people who don't. The question here now is how do we actually encourage contributions and create a fund that everyone can get some kind of a, a minimum pension? So the, the the real issue here is how far are we as a country from the point of thinking of pension is something that you should get because it's from your work? to a pension that everybody should get something. It's just that if you have work, you could probably get more. You know, this is the the, the kind of uh, social policy developments that we we sorely need uh, in terms of influencing uh, the thinking of the public, the understanding of redistribution and risk pooling. Um, We have many examples from other countries and many options. We are just not... uh, exploring them or or trying to sell it to the public and think about the pros and cons. I mean, we have short-term measures. We need them. Uh, Some of the measures that are suggested are definitely short-term. But in the long run, in the long term, to make it more sustainable, to make sure that money really don't grow on trees, then there is some way we can keep this uh, on a long-term basis You know, across the generations and how we can uh, fund especially long-term care insurance and also probably... Give care workers a pensionable service. You know, for a number of years that they have served as a care worker, they should be eligible to some form of pension, provided they contribute to that fund for a minimum of 10 years. There's no saying that the whole Malaysia can only have one provident fund. You know, we can have special funds for teachers like in the past, for armed forces. We can probably think one for Care workers that will actually help in in professionalizing that industry, and uh, focusing on their uh, level of uh, uh, care that is being provided. You know their training, their qualifications, etc.
0: You know, Chai, I, I hear you. Uh, I I I'm very much supportive of the idea of a, a universal basic income, which is what you're basically describing, or pension later on uh, in life. I think it's in. Uh, Japan, where uh, once you hit age 41, uh, everybody contributes to this scheme which is intended for uh, the upkeep of you in your later years. so that Yes, it,
2: the long-term care insurance. Yeah,
0: the yeah. long-term insurance. And I feel that for Malaysia, uh, we actually should introduce something like that because uh, long-term uh older age care is going to be quite expensive and we need to invest in our future. And that's literally investing in our own care. And we've got to put aside money for that, uh, you know, but uh, even with social health insurance also, it's really one kind, you know, we're having a conversation right now and it's really quite a struggle. Uh, but, you know, the problem here is the ideal is one thing, but the reality is something different altogether. A lot of people today are suffering from cost of living crisis uh, with real needs, uh, real concerns, and they find themselves in a difficult position where they're not able to care for the people that they, are supposed, they, they would want to care for, you know. And uh, a lot of people say the reason why I have children in the first place is so that when I get older, they're going to be taking care of me uh, in the future. Like investment, literally, uh, you know, by you know, more children I have, the more care you're supposed to be having, right? But the reality today is that it's expensive, and you cannot afford to be able to even help those who you want to help, and there me, needs to be a resolution. There needs to be a way forward. And I, I you know, I, I hear Ponanfal, I hear that you know we want to be able to regularize. Uh, we want to be able to uh, provide. But the fact is, is that it doesn't seem to be getting to where we are able to provide those services. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's a struggle. It's an everyday struggle for so many. So. Um how do we, right now, Malaysia's care is really dependent on the private sector today, if you uh, look at it, and families. Families are doing the bulk of the work. So what is the way forward here? I mean, do we have a combination of regularizing, uh, it, you know, the private sector properly, we put it together properly, and support the families? Or do we Depend on one or mm. or the other. Maybe I mean, which ones, yeah. Which Maybe each that? of
1: you could weigh in on yeah. this. Um. Uh. Yb, perhaps you'd like to share your thoughts first.
3: Okay. Um. I think if uh, people who are in capitalism, they would see these uh, business prospects of uh, preparing uh, the elderly care, uh, and you could see uh, the future prospects of uh, uh, OT eh, occupational therapies, physiotherapies. Uh, the occupation of uh, psychologists. So um, I believe uh, we could see it in positive way. Uh, one is in terms of regulation. I mean, uh, as government, we cannot do everything, but we need to do the legislation part. I think uh, maybe in slango we may begin with enactment uh, in terms of the elderly care, uh, maybe uh, to incentivize uh, or subsidise those uh, the children who take care of uh, uh, their their parents. And also, um, I, I spoke to uh, PKN uh, CEO, uh, and uh, he has this idea of assisted living. And in fact, in Shah uh, they are building it uh, in Section 13, where uh, we believe um, in a reverse mortgage, eh, where uh, those are at the age of 60s who live in, maybe in Petaling Jaya, the properties are way too expensive, but the children no longer want to uh, stay with them. So maybe they can reverse mortgage with the property and use that um uh, to stay in an assisted living, like a small unit in an apartment. Because uh, I believe in Australia, mm. they have that kind of model. Uh, where And also we have to change uh, this stigma of um, putting uh, the parents in the uh, elderly care, sort of like, Abandoning parents. Uh, So that's one challenge. So, uh, in terms of uh, regulation and legislation, uh, uh, I have uh, this aspiration and I believe Slango can do that in terms of enactment, but we need uh, a detailed study on that. And second one uh, is to promote uh, using the ESG scoring for the corporates uh, Mm. to do this uh, CSR. Uh, So, we we want to encourage uh, the corporate sectors and also in terms of a community uh, to encourage using Waqf and Zakat uh, as their spiritual um, part of responsibility to contrib- contribute back to community. So we could see uh, this, um, uh, we share this responsibility to, um, uh, to re-share uh, responsibility in terms of from family to community, from government, Two private sectors. Mm -hmm. So I believe care economy is the future, where uh, those who uh, perceive this as a uh, in positive way will see it in a good prospect for business.
1: Mm. Chai, your thoughts? Where do we go from here?
2: Definitely, I agree with YB's suggestions that you know this is an all of society and all of government approach is needed. You know, uh, not just tapping into uh, families' resources and also out of pocket expenditure, but at the same time trying to bring them in into the care economy uh, as a, a major stakeholder. So, how can we help families help themselves? You know, th- this is one of the major issues that we face, but we must have a destination or goal. Mm, While, uh, Azro, you were talking about, you know, whether or oh, where do we down, or do we do both or whatsoever, I think the, the first and most critical thing now is that our current uh, support uh, for families who care for their children or their elderly comes in a form of tax rebates. Primarily, there's no direct grants unless you are extremely poor or whatsoever, or you have somebody who's bedridden and you fall below the poor category as well. But There's this missing middle, you know, what if I'm not rich enough to be taxed? So that rebate is not applicable to me at all. Mm. And I'm not poor enough to actually get uh, the Mm. welfare assistance. So I think that's the first critical thing. Plug Mm. that gap first in a short term. And then the second thing to do is actually figuring out how does our uh, long-term care landscape, you know, uh, is actually interacting with one another we we should of course encourage and support the local industry uh aged care industry but we must also not fall into the trap that that's the only thing we have because uh institutionalization is expensive you know if you have aging in place solutions you have community care solutions go for that invest in that because that is the medium term thing until you know we really end up with uh the absolute need of institutionalization. I think that's the second thing to do. You know, Look into community care, look into home-based care. You know, For those who can afford it, I think nobody wants to send the elderly or the elderly who's wealthy enough. They'll just hire themselves nurses to their homes or maids to their home to serve them. They won't go to a facility as well. So when we talk about institutionalization, we're really talking about a very niche middle market that, that needs it very badly Uh, but they're probably not getting uh, the kind of quality of care uh, that they can afford uh, on a sustainable basis. I want to add on to the last point on the universal basic income. We, We think of it as a form of a cash handout. But in reality, it's actually more like redistributing in that sense. If everybody is on LHDN, I can do a social accounting for your household and say that, you know, based on the household people that you have, based on the care that they need, we probably will provide you with some tax rebates. But currently, our tax rebate is only applicable to those above a certain salary grade. Mm-hmm. So we miss out that part, the chunk of people who really needs these services. I I, I believe, uh, Azro, the last... Uh, at the end of the day, the real uh, question to the problem now is, somebody will have to pay for it. Exactly. It's either it's either we pay for it uh, for our future selves, set aside a small amount. We can make it fairer by making it uh, uh in a risk pooling format. You know not. I only get what I put in, then if we are just repeating the EPF exercise. If I only get what I put in, we are repeating the EPF exercise. And it's not, we know it's very, very unfair. But if we have a, a risk pooling element where everybody's uh, in Japan, what they do is they deduct by a percentage of your wages at the age of 40 and on, onwards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when you reach the age where you need it, it's not sixty by the way, it's maybe around seventy or seventy five mm. and when you need it for any kind of care, any different levels that you need it for, the government sets some ceiling to it. So there is some redistributive element in that fund itself. The rich will always contribute more, but the poor can also claim up to a ceiling. Everybody is treated the same towards the end because the principle is that it doesn't matter what I'm subsidising, what the government is paying from the fund, it should not be excessive because we are not here to you know make a profit for the people who provide the service. We are here to provide for basic needs uh, of care, of long-term care. So m- many Malaysians haven't really gotten their head around to these kind of ideas because they have never seen it. They have never heard it. So it will take some time on the government side, on the uh, researchers' side to try and tell them that there are many ways we can skin this cat. The real problem here is uh, we have to be upfront about uh, the facts. Even if the government is paying for it, it's coming out of your pockets, you know, as Mm -hmm. taxpayers. So it's just matters your current generation or the future generation is going to foot the bill. So we, we have to teach the people that.
1: Yeah, and, and YB, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that because you are somebody who talks to, you talk to your constituents, you talk to people uh, and you probably help out a lot of constituents who are in need uh, you know, uh, for welfare issues and things like that. Um, are we ready for that sort of mindset shift?
3: I think it's a bit challenging, uh, but then um, from what we have discussed, what we need, we are lacking of data. Uh, mm, for example, exactly. under the agency of Jabatan Kebajikan Masyarakat, uh, I've spoken to the state Uh, director. uh Currently, uh, they uh, they are giving uh, cash handouts uh, for like fifteen schemes, uh, and that benefits uh, benefited fifty five thousand uh, beneficiaries monthly in terms of uh, the disabled, uh, those who are the uh, yang you know, sakit Atlanta, and uh, it will never be enough. I mean, even, in fact, we could see uh, after 12 months they need to be reviewed whether they uh, will continue giving assistance or to stop uh, giving assistance. Some are very uh, get mad and like being forceful of uh, making government to keep continuing uh, and uh, giving them mm. cash assistance. So uh, I believe um, what we need is uh, to empower community and to use the structural um, in, in terms of, uh, for example, and the Pusat Kidman Masyarakat and also all, the, all sorts of agencies uh, to uh, empower the community uh, to understand uh, how they can reach out uh, to give help. Uh, for example, I could see um, those who are abandoned in hospitals. Uh, we could see there are big issues uh, like for welfare homes who are taking this responsibility of taking uh, the, the elderly or the abandoned patients uh, into their homes. And there is no clause or legislation of how government uh, may uh, protect or um, facilitate the process. Mm -hmm. So I believe uh, all these loopholes, we need to do social mapping and we need to uh, coordinate all the data, maybe the uh, private institutions, the individuals, the NGOs, NGOs, and also from the uh, government sectors. And we could see the data. Uh, From the data, we may craft uh, what sort of a budget and of course, it will never be enough. But uh, I believe uh, that uh, from uh, the constituents and like pusat uh, Hikmat, this is how we understand. Even, um, for example, in Selangor, for each don, uh, state uh, assemblyman uh, may receive 800000 a year for, to assist. Uh, for any programs and um, donation for the communities. But uh, with the uh, AVR, automated voters registration, it will double. So that 800,000 um, to cover the needs of uh, voters and uh, constituents will be never be enough. So I believe a uh, way forward is to promote uh, the economy and to encourage uh, the discourse between the uh, private sectors and also the corporates uh, to see how they can accommodate and be a part of a nation builder.
0: You know, uh, Shaoyed, I'm very encouraged to hear uh, Puan Anfal speak on this at length. And I'm also very um, hopeful because I see the slango government has allocated uh, a YB, a person Mm. with a portfolio, to be in charge of the care economy. And the same can't be said, really, for the federal government, really, when you look at it, because I'm not sure where care economy is in the federal government, who's got the portfolio. Mm-hmm. In fact, even the question of aged care, mm-hmm. who's responsible for that? You mm-hmm. know, I, And is it under the Minister of Women, Family, Community Development? Is All it health. under mm-hmm. Ministry of Health? And they will say no, nope. mm-hmm. You know, both of them. So at the federal level, it seems like there is still a lack of... of orientation or and that reflects in terms of commitment but Slamo government seems like they've got it on and wanting to look forward and I'm uh, and my question to perhaps Chai here and I'm not going to put Puan Anfao on the spot here who should (laughs) you think should be taking on this lead when it comes to the care economy at the federal level?
2: I think if you look at uh, 802 uh, and who owns that new Private Aged Care Facilities and Services Act, you know, on paper that would be the Ministry of Health, true and true, but the bulk and the majority of the homes are registered under JKM at exactly. the moment under the Care Centre Act. <laughs> but if, if you ask me, I think. Uh, this is where I have to congratulate uh the state of slang for taking the courage to actually leading the way. You know, do something, yeah. And probably set an example and and pay attention to these critical issues. We say it as bread and butter issues, really. This is confronted by families day in and day out. So mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, uh you know, there are probably even calls of saying that, oh, we should have a special ministry for what good We should do this and that. But I, I think the fundamental issue here is this. We lack resources to enforce many of our existing laws. That, that's one thing. And to imagine that we'll have more laws or a or, or single bullet, you know, that we're going to solve our problems, that's near impossible. But I, I believe that um, our political masters are there in their position, uh, are making these uh, policy decisions on the basis of what's best for the people, not what's best for re-election, you know, it's a, not, a, not a simple choice, you know. So sometimes there are things that might, you know, we see a bit further, you know, down the road, you know, and, and, and we should actually focus on more sustainable outcomes and definitely being targeted uh, is one of the clearest uh, 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 approach that we have heard and that should be supported. But what we want to do and we hope at the federal government level while they talk about whether it's Ministry of Health or or Ministry of Women, I echo uh, YB's uh, statement and intention that the real uh, game changer is actually our local governments because Mm. they are the closest to the ground. If they have the right attitude, if all the government agencies have the right attitude, that we are here to facilitate and support uh, care in the community. We are not here to try and just come to a home and say, I want to shut you down tomorrow because I don't like what you are doing. You know, that's not the right mindset to go into this uh, kind of industries. They are providing real and essential services. If you don't like what they are doing, then find ways to fix that, get it to other more responsible operators, but don't go with a punitive mindset. You know that, and, and that's the last thing I think is important.
1: All right. Thank you so much for your thoughts uh, on our discussion today. YB Anfal Sari, Adun for Taman Templar and Selangor State Exco uh, for Women and Family Empowerment, Social Welfare and Care Economy. And Chai Santing, Senior Research Officer at the Malaysian Research Institute on Aging, My Aging at University Putra, Malaysia. And my co host, Azro Muhammad Khalib, CEO of the Galen Center for Health and Social Policy. For our discussion on the care economy today, this has been Health and Living.